There we go. Could ask you to take your Bibles and to turn to Psalm chapter 11. Uh, this is the portion of Scripture that I'd like us to read together uh, as we come to God's Word this morning. Book of Psalms, this is one of the Psalms of David, and uh, I think an appropriate Psalm for us to read uh, as we begin a new year. To the choir master of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Well, this is God's word and uh, we have already prayed that God would be pleased to uh, add his blessing to it as we consider this passage this morning. It's, it's so good for me to be back with you again this morning and to be able to start off a new year uh, in the Word of God. And I trust that this will be the pattern of our lives as Christians as we go into this week, uh, into this year. And, and I just want to start off by thanking Shane and Kyle uh, for faithfully preaching God's Word over the past few weeks while we were away. Um, it's been such a blessing for us as a family to take a time away, a time of rest, and to be ministered to uh, as we as a family attended the Kayser's Beach Chapel uh, over the Christmas holidays, but to know that God's Word continued to be faithfully taught here at Honeyridge, and I know that many of you have expressed your appreciation um, of the preaching of God's Word. If you read the, the January buzz that was sent out to you in the first week uh, of January this year, you will know that we're going to be starting a new sermon series uh, this year in the book of Revelation, and we're going to start that next week. Uh, we looked last year at the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and so next week we're going to just take a step back. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 again. We're going to take an overview um, of the whole book of Revelation, and then the following week we're going to pick up our studies in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, and I would ask that you pray for me as I prepare for this series in the book of Revelation, uh, and also that God would be preparing your hearts, our hearts as a church to receive and understand and be able to apply God's Word to our hearts. But for today, I want us to spend our time together in God's Word in Psalm 11, um, both as a, as a fitting uh, portion to consider at the beginning of a new year, but as you will see, I hope, also as a precursor to the book of Revelation, uh, to our studies in Revelation. You'll see some themes coming out in the Psalm 11, uh, which we will certainly unpack in the weeks and months ahead in the book of Revelation. But the title that I've given to the message this morning, it's up on the board before you, is this, Where Do You Flee in Times of Fear? Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in a world which is saturated with fear, uh, perhaps more so in the last two years or three years than most of us have experienced in the rest of our lives uh, up to this point. There has obviously been 
the fear of COVID. Uh, first, it was just COVID-19. Uh, then it was the second wave, then it was the Delta variant, uh, then Omicron, and just as we think that we're getting over it all, uh, the media is quick to remind us to stay afraid. Be very afraid because the next wave or the next mutation uh, is on the way. And while the media and, and I think various camps of conspiracy theorists have perhaps blown selected facts out of all proportion, the reality is that COVID has taken many lives across our country and even right here within our church family. And so COVID itself is perhaps not the main reason for the fear, but rather the fact that COVID has resulted in many people that we have known personally, perhaps even loved ones of ours who have passed away in recent years. And so the fear of death is perhaps something which has, has gripped many in these days and which has shaken the foundation of their lives and indeed it has shaken the fabric of our society. But then there are many other fears which plague us. There's the, the fear of political corruption and social unrest and anarchy as we witness something of that uh, in recent months. There's the fear for our children, for their future, for their future education and employment in this country. There's the fear of economic recession and the decline of our pension funds. There's the fear of hijackings and, and housebreakings. There's the fear, I speak of this as a, as a parent, of, of moral degeneration in our society and, and what that means for children growing up in this world. There's the fear of family breakdown through divorce and, and abuse and, and abandonment. There's the fear of increasing hostility and persecution against us as Christians that we are becoming more and more aware of. There's the fear of social media and public hatred and hostility towards God's people uh, on the internet. And I could go on, and I'm sure that you could add more and more of your own fears to the list that I have just mentioned. And the bottom line uh, of the analysis of our world today at the beginning of, of 2022 is really the first point that I want us to see from Psalm 11, and that is that the world is a scary place. The world is scary today, uh, it was scary in David's time 3,000 years ago, and it will remain a scary place until Jesus Christ returns. And we're not going to get into the why of this today, we will certainly be spending time in the weeks ahead in our studies in Revelation to, to kind of lift the curtains uh, of, of the realities of this scary world and to understand the spiritual realities behind all the pain and the evil and the suffering that we see in the world around us. So, so come back for that. But for today, I want to just make the point that the world we live in is a scary place and there is much which causes fear in the heart of human beings. And so the question that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds this morning is, where do you flee in times of fear? This is the question which I believe David is wanting us to, to think about and to answer because this was the question that he had to grapple with in a most intense and personal way. 
We'll come back to to David's opening statement in verse 1 just a a little bit later, but I want us to see that the bulk of the first three verses are David's friends or perhaps his counselors, his advisors, telling him to flee to the mountain for safety. And we're not given and we're not sure of the historical details of the psalm, but most commentators would, would agree that it was most likely during one of those times, just before David became king, uh, when he was being pursued by King Saul. If you were here in 2020, uh, when we worked our way through 1 Samuel, you recall many of those times when David was being pursued by Saul and driven into the mountains, driven into the ravines and the caves in Judah, even to the point where David had to leave Israel uh, and head over to the Philistine region of Gath in order to escape the murderous pursuits of King Saul. And so it's most likely on one of those occasions when David's friends, his advisors, come to him and they say, David, your life is in danger. King Saul, he's put a bounty out uh, on your head. The, The reward posters are all over the streets of Jerusalem. Wanted, David bin Jesse, dead or alive, preferably dead. And so David, you need to flee, look at verse one. Flee like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark, or as the NIV says, to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. David's world was a scary place. But perhaps it's, it's too simplistic to, to think of these threats in terms of real bows and real arrows. That was certainly true in, Dave, <coughs> excuse me, in David's case. But we know that the Bible often describes the attacks of the wicked on God's people in terms of their words. Listen to a few portions of Scripture, and, and as I read them, think about the world that you and I live in. Think about how people's keyboards and, and phones and emails and social media and blog posts have become the new weapons of mass destruction. Psalm 57 verse 4, my soul is in the midst of lions, I lie down amidst fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Psalm 64, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush, from the shadows at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. Or Jeremiah 9 verse 8 says, their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, a man speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Can you identify both both the physical and the verbal threats? They're all around us. People lay traps in the shadows. They lurk around the streets at night. Their tongues are like swords. Their, Their words are like bitter arrows. Their hearts are full of Hatred, their words are full of lies, and we are told their feet are swift to shed blood. So the world we live in is a scary place, and David's friends tell him to flee like a bird, to fly swiftly to the mountains because there he'll be safe. So my question to you this morning is where do your friends and your advisors tell you to flee? 
What is the mountain to which you are being encouraged to flee to for safety at the beginning of this new year? Maybe it's to that new job that promises a big pay increase and many more benefits. There you will be safe. Maybe it's to the mountain uh, of that next security golf estate that you think if you live inside there you'll be safe because all the criminals are outside until you meet your neighbor. <laughs> Maybe it's to the mountain of, a, of another country which seems to have so many less problems than our own. Maybe it's to that new relationship where you will be cherished and loved and treated so much better than the one that you're in. Maybe it's to the mountain of the, the stock markets and, and cryptocurrency and, and the promises of, of great returns. Maybe it's to the next medical specialist or to the latest natural healing remedy. Where do you flee in times of fear? But notice too in verse three that fear has a close companion. It's called frustration. As David, as his friends look at his situation in fear, it seems like they are overcome with frustration. There's a, a real tone of desperation in their voices in verse three. They say, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Where do we go? And this is most likely referring to their anxiety over the nation of Israel. This was a nation that was supposed to be built on the law of God, on the values of God's word, a nation whose king was meant to uphold the laws and the principles of justice and, and equity for all the citizens. And yet it was their very king, King Saul, who was the one who was the perpetrator of injustice and deception and murder. So if, if the king, if the president, if the, the government, if the chief of police, if the military generals, if the law courts and the judges, if they are violent and corrupt and dishonest and unjust as Saul was, then the foundations of the society are destroyed. And in frustrated desperation, David's friends cry out, what can the righteous do? David, you've got no choice. Run to the mountains. This is the, the cry of fear. It's a cry of, of frustration and, and hopelessness. Fly like a bird, David. Climb on an airplane, David. Flee to your mountain because the world is a scary place. So how many of you have perhaps started 2022, perhaps not even with other people, saying these things to you, but you are saying these things to yourself. As you look around you at, at all the struggles and the trouble and, and danger and in your fear and in your doubts as they overcome you, you say to yourself, if only I could flee. If only I could just flee this job, everything would be better. If I could just flee this city of Joburg or flee this country or flee this marriage or flee this social group, Oh, then everything would be fine, I'd be safe. Well, David answers the counsel of his friends, and I would argue the doubts that arise within his own hearts. He answers it with three truths about God, and then we'll look at his personal response. And so we see the first truth that David declares is this, the Lord is the sovereign king. Verse four, 
off the back of this reality that the world is a scary place and David's friends counseling him to flee, we find that David does not engage his friends here with the power of positive thinking, saying, oh, stop being so negative, man. Hashtag I'm staying. That's the solution to everything. He doesn't say, you know what, guys? Behind every challenge, there are new opportunities. He doesn't even become a prophet of doom about the mountain to point out that there are actually a whole bunch of dangers associated with the mountain. No, David doesn't engage in this debate. He simply declares the truth about God. Verse four, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Five times in this psalm, David makes use of the special covenant name of God written in our Bibles as Lord in all capitals. It's the Hebrew name Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the name which speaks of a God who is near to his people, who's covenanted to save his people and to protect them from all harm. And David says, this Lord, Yahweh, is in his holy temple. His throne is in heaven. When the fear of a scary world comes close to you and your doubts and your frustrations arise, David says, stop, look up, see as John did in the book of Revelation that the Lord is the sovereign king and he sits on his throne and he is ruling over the world. We'll get to this in a couple weeks time, Revelation 4, John says, after this I looked up and behold a door standing open in heaven and a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We'll get more into that vision in the, in the weeks ahead. But this is the truth about God, which David is wanting us to know from Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So yes, the world is indeed a scary place. But we have a God who sits on the throne in heaven, the throne above all other thrones, the throne over all that God has made, and he is ruling as king over all. Yes, the wicked bend their bow. They load their arrows. They hide in the shadows to ambush you. Yes, the foundations of law and order seem to be crumbling around us, but the Lord is on his throne. The Lord Almighty is the sovereign king. So that's the first truth. The second truth which David wants us to know, really another spiritual perspective on the scary world in which we live, is that the Lord is the holy judge. Look at the second part of verse four to verse six. Having God, just think about this for a moment, having God as the sovereign king on a throne in heaven does not in and of itself provide comfort for us who are on the earth. Unless, unless the sovereign king actually does something about all the evil in this world. 
And David tells us in these verses exactly what the Lord does. He says in verse 4b, his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Let's just unpack this a little. The NIV says in verse 4 that he observes everyone on earth, his eyes examine them. And so the first comfort that we can take from, from this point is that nothing escapes the eyes of God who sits on the throne. One commentator says that, that when the verse in the ESV says his eyelids test the children of man, it's, it's kind of saying that God is squinting. He's examining. He's, he's screwing his eyes up so that he can examine in detail the deeds of the peoples on earth. Now we know God doesn't have eyes and eyelids, but the condescension of the psalmist here is to show us how God examines all that is going on on the earth. God does not sit as Bette Midler would have you believe from a distance. God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. Seeing just the good bits on the earth through rose-tinted glasses. No, he examines everything on the earth. Every human being is scrutinized by this holy God. Every wicked person whose bow is loaded with an arrow, whose gun is loaded with a bullet, whose tongue is loaded with harsh words of anger and deceit. The sovereign king on the throne, he is also the holy judge, and nothing escapes his searching out. Notice also in verse 5 that even the righteous are examined. The secret thoughts of our hearts, the words of our mouths, the, the actions of our hands, the, the footsteps that our feet walk in, it's all exposed to this holy judge. We'll come back to the righteous just now, but for now, look at what this holy judge says about the wicked and about the injustice on the earth. He says, if I'm reading here from the NIV, the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur, a scorching wind will be their lot. Now, this is a clear reference to Genesis chapter 19, when God poured out his judgment on those two wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by destroying them with fire and brimstone. We'll see in our studies in, in Revelation that this recurring theme of, of God's judgment of the wicked takes place throughout history. And every time we see it, it's, it's a shadow, it's a pointer forward to the ultimate judgment of the wicked when Jesus Christ will return and will destroy every wicked, personly, uh, wicked person eternally. So the point is that the Lord is the holy judge, and this is a, a truth of great comfort for us as believers to, today, to know for certain that God will not leave the wicked in this earth unpunished. Some of the wicked will be destroyed before your very eyes. And yes, some of them will go unpunished, it seems, for the rest of their comfortable lives on earth. But know for certain that not one of them will escape the coming judgment of our God. 
And please don't think that this is only Old Testament stuff. No, this is comfort for us as believers today, and it is a great call of warning to repentance to the wicked today. So if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a person, as Shane explained, who has repented of your sin and and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and loves him and his people, then according to the scriptures, you are still in your sin. And according to God's word, you are one of the people who God's squinting eyes of holy examination is exposing to be wicked. And you failed the test, and the day is coming when you will have the fire and the sulfur of God's wrath poured out on your head. Gives me no joy to to say these words today, but for the fact that this is a warning. It's a warning that calls you to repentance. Just think back over the last few weeks. Do you realize that every sin you have committed Every blasphemous word spoken, every pornographic image looked at, every lie, every lustful glance, every covetous desire, every overindulgence in food and drink, every binge session on Netflix, every crude joke, every violent outburst, every temper tantrum, every disrespect of your parents or or others in authority, every rumor you spread, every morsel of gossip you devoured, every hateful thought, every hurtful word, every idol you bowed your heart to, it's all been laid bare before the holy judge. Not a single one of those sins will escape the wrath of his judgment. And so Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 2 and 2 Peter 3 that these prophetic glimpses into the judgment of God in the past are but warnings to call you to repentance today so that you will escape the final judgment of God which awaits. Listen to 2 Peter 3 verse 1. He says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. I want you to think about these things that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through the apostles, knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing, following their own sinful desires. What a description of our world today. But he says, the heavens and the earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." And so this leads us on then to the third truth about God, which David wants us to see today. We've seen that he is the sovereign king who reigns over all things. We see that the same God is also the holy judge who examines all people on this earth, who hates the wicked. And so these are great truths of comfort for you if you're a believer this morning, but if You're not a believer this morning, or you're not sure this morning, where does that leave you today? What hope is there for you? 
Well, in the third place, David wants us to know that the Lord is the righteous Savior. In verse 7, and here David draws an incredible contrast between God's holy hatred of the wicked and his incredible love for the righteous. Remember back in verse 5, we saw that God's holy eyes also examine the righteous. And here we see that the Lord, who is himself perfectly righteous, he loves those who do righteousness. And he says that these incredible words, the upright will see his face. This really is the greatest proclamation that could ever be made over a human being on this earth. You will get to behold God face to face. This is the eternal reward of salvation. A life, an eternal life lived in the presence of and in personal relationship to the sovereign king and the holy judge who is your righteous savior. This is the language of redemption. Remember right back in the Garden of Eden that God used to, to walk and talk with, with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They were in a relationship of peace and, and love with their creator, their king, but, but then they chose to follow the lies of Satan and they sinned against God and, and the consequence was one of banishment, banishment from God's presence and the whole Old Testament is the story of the consequence of man's separation from God because of sin. Because of our sin and because God is holy, Exodus 33 verse 20 says that no one can see God and live. And yet David says in Psalm 11 verse 7 that the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, and the upright will behold his face. How is that possible? How is it possible that, that banished sinners, born into sin, committing sin in thought and word and deed every day of our lives, how is it possible that any one of us could pass the test of God's holy examination and be considered upright? How is it possible that any person will behold the face of God and not be consumed? Well, here is the good news. The Lord, who is the sovereign king, is the same Lord who is the holy judge, and he is the same Lord who is the righteous savior. And the key to understand how we can be called righteous or just or upright is actually found in what we've just read about God's judgment of the wicked in verse 6. Look back at verse six. David reveals that the judgment of the wicked will be completed when they drink the cup of God's wrath against their sin. The ESV says, fire and brimstone and the scorching wind will be the portion of their cup. Unfortunately, that, that's missing slightly in the NIV. But this reality is confirmed in, in many passages in the Old Testament, as well as in the book of Revelation, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. The wicked will drink the cup of God's wrath to the very last drop and will be utterly destroyed. So how amazing is it then that we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? We've just celebrated the Lord's Supper. That night before he was betrayed, he, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That cup 
is hugely significant because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus collapses twice before God in prayer. His sweat becomes like drops of blood and he cries out, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And again, he went away and prayed, said, Father, if it cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This cup of God's wrath is the cup that brought Jesus to his knees before the Father as he faced the crucifixion. What was about to take place on the cross of Calvary is what Paul explains to us in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus did not only take upon himself our sins, but in order for the Lord, the holy judge, to be both just and savior, just and the justifier of sins, Jesus had to drink the cup of God's holy wrath against your sin and mine to the very last drop. Shane said today, it's complete. He drank it all in our place. And the result is that we who put our trust in Jesus, we will behold the face of God. We will spend all eternity with him considered upright because we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so as I close, I want to go back to our question today. Where do you flee in the face of fear? Yes, the world is a scary place. I'm sure your world is a scary place. Evil and wickedness abound. What can the righteous do? Well, David has been clear. The Lord is the sovereign king. He he sits on the throne in heaven. Nothing is happening in your life, in this country, in this world that is outside of his control. But he is also the holy judge and not one wicked person will ever go unpunished for their wickedness against God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then the Lord is the righteous savior who in the person of his son Jesus, he becomes the propitiation for our sins. That word that we don't use much today, he becomes the atoning sacrifice. He he turns the wrath of God away from us by turning it onto himself so that we might be made upright, that we might receive this righteousness of God, that we might see him face to face. And so in the light of all of this, where would you flee? To the mountains? Oh no, says David, the Lord is my refuge. Look at verse one. In the Lord, I take refuge. The Lord is not just a refuge, one of many that you can run to. He is the only refuge. He's not just the only refuge. David says he's my refuge. I take refuge in the Lord. The Psalms are full of, of this concept of refuge. There's more than 45 verses that speak of God being our refuge. Let me just read to you from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. 
be to me a rock of refuge, and I love this, to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Having God as your refuge does not mean escapism. It does not mean you will escape the the arrows of your enemies. It does not mean you will be exempt from COVID and, and other natural disasters in this fallen world. And it does not mean that you will escape all the hardships and the suffering of this world. One commentator says, the kind of refuge that God offers calls us to give ourselves away. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. So taking refuge in God is other-focused. Those who enter that refuge hold on to God by letting go of self and then thinking of others. The call to take refuge is not the call to hunker down and to remain inactive until the danger passes. It's a call to realize that in Christ, we have been given life so abundant and so eternal that we need not fear to give it all away. So as you face the the scary world of Johannesburg in 2022, is Jesus Christ your refuge? That's the most important question you can answer as you go into this year, and I pray that your answer would be yes. And if you can't answer that today, then grab hold of me or Shane or any one of the elders or any other Christian here and say, the Lord is not my refuge. Can you help me? We'd love to do that. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, what a comfort it is to come to you at the end of a portion of Scripture like this that does not just stop with you being the sovereign king and the holy judge, but it stops with you being the righteous savior. And so we want to thank you, Lord, those of us today who have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we can run to you, continually run to you as our eternal refuge and find in you all the security and the hope that we need. Not to Remove us from the hurts and the troubles of this world, but to sustain us in them and to give us such a heart, the heart that you had for us, that you'll give us a heart for those who sin against us, a a heart for those who are lost, a heart for those who are still today standing under that cup of wrath that is about to be poured out on them. We who have been removed from that wrath by Jesus taking it upon himself, May we never become proud. May we we never become self-righteous and judgmental of those around us who are sinners. May you remind us that but for the grace of God, there we go. And may we reach out to them. May we love them. May we be people who give ourselves away for the cause of Christ. For we pray this in Jesus' name that you would be glorified, that those that you have appointed to eternal life will be saved that, Lord Jesus, you may come quickly. We pray this in his name. Amen.